0: Happy Sunday. Sunday. Tell your face, come on. Happy Sunday. Sunday. Yes, come on. It is, it's good to be here. What did you come for today? There you go. He's here. His word is here. Last week we, we talked through, this mic is hot. I can hear eardrums bursting. Last week, we, we talked together through what it means to be with him, and we looked at the story of these two sisters, Mary and Martha. Remember this? And Jesus said that Mary was distracted, worried about many things, and it actually, quite literally, kept her from Jesus. And her sister Mary was found at Jesus' feet. And Jesus says something that I want to remind us of today as we, as we move into this talk He's t- talking to Martha, Luke chapter 10, 38. He says, Martha, Martha, you were worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed, only one. And Mary, your sister, has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. These are the words of Jesus. And want you see in this text, the progression of the thought here. Jesus says, Martha, you're worried about many things. There's many things going through your mind and your psyche, the things that you're thinking about. It's a lot, but Martha, I need to tell you that it's only few things that actually matter. And then Jesus seemingly corrects himself. You notice this? Same guy, Jesus, the one who is truth, is speaking and he says, few things are needed. And then he says, actually, only one thing is needed. And that strikes me as I read the text of why Jesus would frame it that way. And then he goes on to say, and Mary has chosen that one thing and that one thing will not be taken from her. Anybody intrigued about what Jesus is talking about in this progression? Nobody? Okay, cool. Like, just tell me already. It will not be taken from her. it reminds me of Romans chapter 8. We read a passage of Romans chapter 8. But there's strong language in Romans chapter 8 that Paul brings. He says this, who can separate us from the love of God? That's what Jesus is saying in this passage. And it will not be taken from her. She's chosen this and there's nothing that can stop it. This is good news. What is it that she chose? (laughs) What we see with Martha is that there were thoughts and patterns in her mind that did actually separate her from him. There was actually something that separated Martha. Her distractions and her worries, getting caught up in the worries of life, actually kept her from where Jesus was. This is why Mary's choice really matters. Jesus says that she made a choice. She decided where she belongs and that choice, the result of it, will not be taken from her. But here's the reality. It was the love of Jesus that Mary found herself in did not Jesus love Martha just as much? Well, of course he did. So is he implying that there's a love that will be taken away from Martha that won't be taken away from Mary? What is he speaking about here? We're speaking about something that we need to lean in today. And it's this, that Mary chose to receive Jesus' love. Mary chose to be near him. Mary made a a decision, and in that decision, to be with him, Jesus backed it up by saying, that will never be taken from her. In other words, Martha, you could choose to be somewhere else and not be where I am in my love, but Martha has chosen to be there, and that will be her story. And when you make that choice in your life, to receive what He gives. There is nothing that will separate you from what He wants to give you. That's what Paul is saying in Romans. That's what Jesus is saying in Luke. If you make the choice to be near His love, nothing will get in your way. Nothing will stop you. But you need to make the choice. The only thing keeping Martha from receiving all that Jesus came to give was the busyness and distractions that took her elsewhere. And as simple and as small and as frenetic as they are, those were the things that actually kept her from receiving what Mary got. Martha was the only one that separated from Jesus' love. It's not that Jesus stopped loving her. Is that she didn't receive the love that he wanted to give. When you choose Jesus, it's a response to him first choosing you. Loving him is because he loved you first, which means the strength in that choice to love him isn't actually coming from you. It's coming from him. He backs it up, by saying it will not be taken from her. It wasn't the strength that she found to love Jesus that kept her there. It was only the choice that she made to be there. And it was the love of Jesus that she she received in the first place that kept her there. Look what Paul says in Romans chapter eight. He says this, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died... More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for, for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Mary has chosen the one thing that matters and it will not be taken from her. Who will separate those from Christ that have chosen to receive his love? No one and nothing. Nothing. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, none of those things. And all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not through an ounce of our own strength. He loved us first, and if we for a moment choose to receive that love, nothing can separate you from it. The tragedy in this story is that Martha was distracted by so many things that she couldn't connect to the love that he wanted to pour out on her. The conquering spirit that Paul is talking about, overcoming isn't a mechanism of your love for him. And how strong of a worshiper you are. It's a mechanism of you receiving his love for you, of being at his feet when he is there, of being with him because he is with you. I'm going to crack this place open today. Let me correct myself. The Holy Spirit is going to crack this place open today. It's going to be through the truth of the word of God. We're going somewhere, and I can't wait to go. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, listen to this, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. She has chosen the one thing that matters, and it will not be taken from her. Jesus' choice was clear, and Jesus' choice is clear. He chose you. He chose Mary, and he chose Martha. And Mary chose, in return, the only one thing that mattered. To receive Jesus' love. And Martha, in contrast, so sad. Sad chose to be distracted by other things. In other words, Martha was worried and distracted from his love by many things. Let me sit here for a moment. Is it possible that you and I, simply put, can be worried and distracted? from the very source of life that God has come to give us and deposit in us. But the need to have a clean house and to prepare and to be organized in the small things in life. I just want you to sit in the the tragedy of this story that Jesus himself was in the room Jesus himself being in our lives, and we are distracted from the only thing that matters by the small things in life. He is an infinite source of love headed in your direction, and we're walking around like this. This is the most devastating place to be. This is devastating. Once you've experienced his love, is it not? I know what it's like to receive his love in its fullness. And then here I am, not able to receive his love the way that I once did. Is that not devastating? Particularly how the psalmist says your love is better than life? Jesus himself says, my love will never be taken from you. Nothing can separate you from my love. Yet we walk a day, two days, a week, a month, without realizing the depth of his love for us. Because we're worried and distracted by many things. I want you to sit with me in the humanity of this story. Is it not devastating once you've realized that his love is better than anything to be caught up with other things that are inferior to his love, so much so that they keep you from his love? There are many things in this world that will try to get you to choose something other than his love. I'm up for the challenge today. Oh, I feel his heart. Martha was the one who opened her home, right? Martha thought it was her invitation that brought Jesus into her house, which, which then became her obligation to prepare a place for Jesus. And many of us think it's up to us to make sure that Jesus is the one who is loved, cared for, served. When Martha forgot that it wasn't her that needed to prepare something for him, she forgot what David said in Psalm 23, that it's he who prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Jesus did not come so that Mary could prepare something for him. Jesus came by his own invitation to her house to prepare a table for her. And she was distracted trying to prepare something to make him happy. And Mary's like, wait a minute. I remember what David said. There's no preparation that needs to be done. He's here to prepare a table for me. Mary understood. He came with the table. Why would I be distracted by all these other things when I can just sit at his feet and be loved by him? And me responding to his invitation is the greatest way I can love him in return. Praise God indeed. Thank you for getting that. You don't have to prove to Jesus how good of a host you are like Martha. All you have to prove is that you know his love for you. And the way you prove it is by going to the table he's prepared for you, not trying to prepare a table for him. She thought this whole thing started with her love for him. And that's a place where many of us get to. We have to invite him. I talk to our worship team all the time. Stop singing songs about inviting Jesus. Someone wrote them. I don't want to sing them anymore. Because we enter his court. When he walks in the room, it's now his house. And he came by his own invitation. And he invites us to come sit at his table and drink from his cup. The moment Jesus walked in to Martha's house, it was no longer Martha's house, but she was acting like it was her idea. And Jesus says to Martha, you're missing the one thing that matters. And the one thing that matters is I've come here to love you. So stop trying to earn my love and start receiving the love I've already given you. And once you choose to receive my love, Guess what? It is not going to be taken away from you. Mm, Come on, are you with me? We're just getting going, but thank you for finally joining me (laughs) in the beauty of Jesus. Jesus invites himself. Our only job is to respond to his invitation. The scripture we just read, it says, he predestined us. To be conformed to the image of this son. And then it goes on to say, those who he predestined, he chose. Those he chose, he called. Martha thought Jesus responded to her invitation. And Mary responded to Jesus' invitation. This was the difference between the two sisters. Nothing in this world can take the seat at the table that Jesus prepared for you away from you. Nothing. And if you're not sitting at it, there is a label with your name on it. With an empty chair waiting for you to join him in the table he's prepared. Nothing and no one can take your seat away. All Mary did was see her name at the table and come sit where she was invited. That's it. There's nothing that can take the seat away from you. But there are many things that can take you away from your seat. I need the sobriety of this to hit us today. All of this that we're talking about is a doctrine within the church. It's the doctrine of justification. I'm going to teach you it today through this story. Anybody excited about doctrine? <laughs> this side's not into it. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally kidding. You're like, yeah, you're like, obviously. I don't have to respond to that. This is the doctrine of Justification. And it's what Jesus says matters. Jesus said it matters. And so we're going to find out why it matters. The scripture we just read says he's predestined us to be conformed to the image of the Son, which means, in our language, to become like him. That is your destiny, by the way. If you're searching for your destiny, I've just told it to you. You were predestined. Before you were conscious, God gave you a destiny. And that destiny was to become like Jesus. Anybody agree? Yes, it is your destiny. Your destiny is more about who you're becoming than it is about who, what you are doing. And many of us are caught up thinking that our destiny is fulfilled in a job description or a role or how much money we have or the person we marry. No, your destiny is fulfilled in who you are becoming. You are predestined to be, be conformed to the image of the sun. But many of us would be in this room asking this, but what about what I want to become? What about my destiny? What about the thing I'm dreaming about, right? Anybody remember Spike Lee back in the day? Those Nike commercials with Michael Jordan? I want to be like Mike. Make me like Mike. Little Bow Wow, anybody? Yeah. <laughs> like Spike Lee, who's that? Give me a little Bow Wow. You just don't know how you move so fast across the floor. Okay. That's my era guys, make me like Mike. We have these ideas and images in our mind about what we wanna be. This is why celebrity culture is devastating to the church. Because we get an image in our mind about something we want to be, or someone we want to be. And it undermines our destiny because we're placing that in the hands of a celebrity and aiming our life at that. I want that influence, I want that car, I want that prestige, I want that marriage. I wanted to be like Michael Jordan growing up. God just, if you could put me in the NBA. And then I watched The Last Dance. Can I nerd out for a second? I'm like, Michael Jordan is amazing, but I do not want his life. You peel back a layer and be like, oh yeah, he's just as broken as I am if not more. That's why Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. What we have to do is get our eyes off of the things that are inferior to who Jesus is and say, Jesus, there's only one place that I will look to for my destiny, and it's you. Many of us need to shut this stuff off and say, I'm not going to look to you unless you tell me about him. I'm not going to pursue something inferior to this destiny because I am destined to be conformed to his image. And in becoming like him, you are not being robbed of your dreams. Let me say that one more time. It's not making it a bunch of clones. I mean, Sam doesn't look like Jesus, I don't look like Jesus, naturally speaking, Brandon doesn't look like Jesus, we're not all called to be clones of Jesus and walk around with big beards and sandals, you, you get what I'm saying, but let's take it a little bit deeper. Jesus gave you a particular name, a particular calling, a particular destiny. You're not being robbed of the dreams that Jesus has given you in your life in saying that I want to be conformed to his image. My friend says this, the more you look like him, the more you look like yourself. So the invitation in becoming like him is the invitation to become who you were born to be. And that's only found in becoming like him, yeah? This is why this matters. Genesis 1, it says this, that we humanity, Adam and Eve, were created in the image of God. God made man in his own image. And then there was something that smeared or distorted and corrupted that image. Anybody know what that is? Oh, you can say it. Oh, say it. This side does that. We're shy to say it, right? But we have to understand that if we were made in the image of God and it's our destiny to be conformed to the image of the Son, there's something that happened that compromised that. Distorted, smeared, and disrupted the image of God in humanity. And it's called sin. The Bible defines it. Why can't we? So what is sin? It's a big question. Is this sin? Is that sin? Anybody Googled, is this a sin? Come on, tell on yourself, am I allowed to do this? And does God consider it a sin? We all wanna know, what is the sin? That's the wrong question to ask. The right question to ask, what is the image of the sun? Because sin is anything, and that's a big category, that distorts the image of the sun, the image of God. And so it might not be on paper, It might not be something that your parents told you not to do, but it's something that you know in you that is a distortion that compromises, that undermines the destiny that you have to be conformed to his image. That's sin. So don't look at me and ask the question, is this sin? If you're asking it, it's probably sin. (laughs) And the fact that you're asking it is probably sin. We gotta get over this word. We have to understand what it is. Because it actually is more devastating than you think it is. Our humanity was broken, and we could never live in our destiny because of sin. In some senses, that is the very definition of hell. Not living in your destiny. Because hell, defined, is separation from God for eternity. And that's what we live, not knowing who we are in him. It is hell. It's the consequence of sin. And this is exactly why we need to be saved. This is exactly why we need a Savior. This is exactly why we need to be rescued. Does anybody need to be rescued? Come on, let, let us say so. Jesus, the name we just sung, fully God in human flesh, came and lived, listen, a sinless life to perfection. Perfection. Colossians says that he is the image, listen to that language, the image of the invisible God. He is showing us the image of God and we were made to be in the image of God. So being conformed to the image of the Son is our destiny. It's the thing we were born for, it's the thing we're heading towards. And by the way, it's the destiny of humanity. And then it tells us in the scripture what God's desire is in Jesus, that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, that God sent Jesus to win back his image bearers. We have the image of God, now we know what our destiny is, to be conformed to that image. And when we're conformed to the image of Jesus through his sinless life, his sacrifice, and our faith in it, we become the brothers and sisters, the children of God that he sent Jesus to come get. By faith in Jesus, we become a new creation. The scriptures say, he who knew no sin became sin so that we in him might become the righteousness of God. This is why his sacrifice, the cross, matters. And this is fully a redemption of God's design from the beginning. Are you getting what I'm preaching today? We're made new in him. We are like him. That's the language. But here's the catch we're still becoming like him, we are righteous but we're still called to live in righteousness. This is another big word, sanctification. This lifelong process that we're talking about, becoming like him, empowered by his spirit in us. But this first happens and can only happen when we understand justification. And justification is this. Your right that no one can take away from you to sit at his table. You hear big words and you shut down. It's okay. We'll get there. Justification is this. Your right to sit at his table. And when you choose to receive that right, no one can take it away from you. In other words, you are justified to sit there. Even though you've lived a sin, sinful life, full of mistakes and brokenness, you were invited to his table. And no amount of condemnation or accusation can keep you from his love in him. That is justification. You are justified because you are forgiven. It was the blood of Jesus spilt on the cross for the forgiveness and the remission of sin. And because of his sacrifice, his love displayed at the cross, he has forgiven you. But in order to sit at the table, you have to receive his forgiveness. And when there's any room in our heart to consider that we are not fully forgiven, not redeemed, not restored, not who he says he is. You know what we do? We scooch out our chair and we get off this table and we say his sacrifice didn't do what he thinks it did because I got this stuff in my life that disqualifies me from the table. Those who he called, he chose. Those who he chose and called, he justified. If he steps into your house, you're in his book. He knows your address. You belong at his table. Nothing can take you away from his table except yourself. And this is what he's telling Martha. This entire scene is the doctrine of justification. Those who he predestined, he also called. Those who he called, he also justified. How many of you know that you're justified? I'm raising your hand. Testify. You know there's something called the powers of the air that watch and witness the church. Do you know that you're justified? That means something. I want you to look at this story from another angle. Luke chapter 7, story of justification. This may or may not be Mary in this story too. We don't know, but it's a woman. Luke chapter 7. Everybody okay? When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at his table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Can you imagine his tone? <laughs> Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them love him will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had a bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman, the sinful woman, and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this that even forgives sins? Because only God had authority to do that. And here was God in this man's house displaying his nature to them. And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want to simplify this for you. The way that Jesus dealt with the problem of sin that we just described was with one thing, forgiveness. End of story. His blood was shed on the cross for the forgiveness of sin. He dealt with the issue once and for all. His forgiveness was his love poured out on the cross. You can't parse out the two things. The forgiveness at the cross was the full display of his love for you and I. And it's forgiveness that is your justification. You don't sit at the table because you ro- worship really, really well, because you sing loud and you've got a great voice. You, don't wor- you sit at the table because of all the good things you've done in your life. You sit at the table because you've been forgiven. Yes. That's the ticket you have. And no one, Jesus is saying, can take away his full and complete forgiveness for you. That's what he's telling Martha about Mary. You can't unforgive. And the fullness of my for- forgiveness, I mean, in her time, will be displayed at the cross. But for us, has been displayed at the cross. It's this forgiveness that invites you to the table. Hear me, it's receiving his forgiveness that brings you to the table. And it's, listen, remembering his forgiveness that keeps you at the table. Everything in life will try to keep you from him, but remembering what he's done for you will keep you with him. Those who have been forgiven little love little. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. And it wasn't that Simon didn't need much forgiveness. In fact, Jesus labels the Pharisees as the worst sinners, even though they think they're sinless. And it it, it wasn't that he didn't need forgiveness. It was that he didn't think he needed forgiveness. So he wasn't able to receive the forgiveness that was being offered. His self-righteousness made no room to acknowledge his sin. So in his inability to acknowledge his sin, he was not able to receive the forgiveness for it. And in that, his need for Jesus was small for his love and his love for Jesus was small in return. And he goes to Peter, I'm sorry, to Simon, the Pharisee, and he says, You didn't give me water for my feet. You didn't give me oil for my head. You didn't give me a kiss as I walked into your house. And the very thing that kept him from doing those things that Jesus wanted from him was his self righteousness. Not able to see Jesus for who he was. Which means he was avoiding having to deal with sin in his life because of his self-righteousness. The woman who lavished those things on Jesus was faced with her sin. But when faced with her sin, she was able to be faced with his forgiveness. When she received his forgiveness, she poured out everything she had on him. I wonder why at times... We have worship services. And we can't as so much as lift our hands if the music isn't good. Pour out everything that we have on His feet if we don't feel it. Lose ourselves in extravagance before Him. Not because we feel it that day, because Sam's leading well, but because of what he gave us on the cross. And our acknowledgement for it, our need for it. No way, stay with me. What if he walked into this room and he saw someone crying on the floor who we all knew to be sinful. And we're like, that is weird the way she's worshiping. I don't feel like lifting my hands today because, uh, you know, I just don't feel it or I'm tired or whatever. And Jesus would walk in and say, you have full opportunity to worship me the way she does, but you don't. Why not? You love little because you've been forgiven little. Which means Simon was not able to acknowledge his need for forgiveness. I used to, when we started this church, If people weren't worshiping, I would get up on stage and be like, come on, worship, lift your hands. But at that time, it was more about me getting a result and producing an atmosphere. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, my heart breaks. Because does he not deserve everything? Like this woman who gave everything because she acknowledged God's love for her and her need for it. I think we forget sometimes that we need forgiveness. Because if we remembered our need for forgiveness, his love would come pouring into our heart as a result. And when his love comes pouring into our heart, we can't help but realize it and give it back to him in return. He said, you didn't give me water, but you got water. You didn't give me oil, you got oil. You didn't give me a kiss, you could have done that. But your judgment about what was happening kept you from it. But this sinful woman did not let anything stop her from being with him. And the thing that tried to keep her from him was the very thing that she acknowledged that caused her to pour her love out on him, and it was this, her sin. It was her realizing how sinful she was, but in the same breath, realizing how forgiving he was towards her sin. This is the brilliance of God in dealing with our sin. The very thing that kept us from him became the very thing that drives us to him. Oh my goodness gracious. This is the beauty of the cross and why it is central to our faith because as I just explained, there was sin, corruption, brokenness, and humanity that kept us from him. And then comes Jesus with the cross that says your sins are forgiven. Now the very thing, sin, that kept us from him should be the thing that drives us to him. But if we don't acknowledge our brokenness, our sin, we'll never go. If we don't come to this room and wake up every day and acknowledge his love poured out for us on the cross, it won't find a landing place in our heart. It'll be a doctrine that we keep up here and worship when we feel like it. No. He forgave us. He forgave you for today. Do you need His forgiveness today? For your bad attitude. For your disrespect. This is not for shame. This is for love. It's almost as if. We get to enjoy acknowledging our brokenness before him because it brings us to the cross. And it's at the cross that we're transformed and we go back to our lives and we don't want to think that way anymore. We have to acknowledge the place in our life that Jesus actually came to redeem. Take some fire that's in my heart and place it in yours. Mary chose the one thing that mattered and it was to receive forgiveness. This woman had seven demons in her a couple chapters before and Jesus walks up and says, freedom. If she still had those demons, they would have driven her to make lunch. I mean it. They're distracting. And she was like, thank you, Jesus, for getting rid of all of that. I'm going to come love you and be loved by you at your feet. What has he delivered you from? Do you even remember? How has he set you free? How has he redeemed your love? Do you remember? We've come to worship him. Where are those who remember his love poured out in forgiveness on the cross? And we want him to come make us feel good. And then we'll worship. The very thing that kept us from him became the very thing that drives us to him, and it's sin. And his greatest act of love was the forgiveness of sin. So the father could receive his reward. And the Father's reward is his children. Jesus came so that he might be the firstborn among many so that the Father could have his children back. Who are we to take away from the Father what he came to get? Our lives. But we must be conformed to the image of the Son, to be received by the Father. And the way we're conformed to the image of the Son is to acknowledge that He chose us. And when we know He chose us, He justified us. And when we're justified, we dare not leave that table because that's the Father's table. And Jesus came to fill that table so that the Father would see His children at the table. Are you getting this? We have to stop saying, I don't feel His love. Stop it. Stop it. You know His love. And we know His love by His greatest display of love, which is the cross that happened long before you were even conscious. You don't have to feel his love to know his love. We need to mature. When we know his love, we can lift our hands. We can pour out our oil. We can wash his feet. Not because we feel good about him, but because we know how much he's forgiven our brokenness. I know the wickedness of my life, and I do not deserve to be there, but for some reason, he forgave me. And I have a cross as witness of my forgiveness. Let nothing take me from him. Nothing could keep this woman from Jesus. But there was something that tried to. You know what it was? Shame. We know the feeling of shame, don't we? The unworthiness. The filth that accompanies sin. But what we learn from this woman is that shame has no place in one who is forgiven. It cannot take you from him, but it tries. For some of us, shame is visceral, and it has a voice, just like that Pharisee. If you knew, this prophet knew, Jesus, you knew how bad I was. If you knew what I did in my disrespect for your love for me. This woman walked into a Pharisee's house, Knowing that she was, we don't know this, but scholars speculate she was a prostitute. She walked into this lawkeeper's house, said, I don't care whose house this is. I know who's forgiven me, and I'm justified to be here because it's not your house anymore. It is his. Shame tried to keep her from where she belonged, but she did not let his voice win. Young man, that's you. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It does not matter what the world says about your story. It does not matter what your spouse says. It doesn't matter what your parents say. It does not matter what the negative thoughts in your head. It doesn't matter what the enemy says. You are justified before Jesus to be in his presence and nothing will separate you from that. Stop following the voice of shame because the voice of love has changed the narrative. My sheep know my voice, and another they will not follow. If he welcomes you to the table, you best better get your butt to that table. For others, it doesn't have a voice. And it doesn't have a feeling. And you would say that you have no shame. But you would also acknowledge that life is like trying to drive a car with the e-brake on. You know there's something holding you back. It's because we try to avoid shame by the equal and opposite sin. Self-righteousness. I don't want to acknowledge how sinful and broken I am, because if I don't acknowledge it, I don't need to be in shame about it. But what I have to do is hide from that by being self-righteous. And I'm afraid to tell us that some of our unwillingness to pour out our love on Jesus is because of self-righteousness. We would never say, I don't need your love today, but we act that way. We think that way. We behave that way. And if it's not shame that's driving the conversation, I'm telling you, it's self-righteousness. Do you know how broken your life was before you met Jesus? Do you remember? Look at you now. Doing pretty good, huh? Only because of his forgiveness. And is that not something we can praise him for? but we forget. We try to avoid shame by hiding behind self-righteousness. We're dealing with sin the way we know how to deal with it, by acting like it's not there or that it doesn't matter. You're getting quiet in here. Sin leaves you for dead, doesn't it? But when we receive life in Jesus... The shame of sin will bury you alive. Meaning, you're alive in Him, but you're still in a coffin six feet deep. And that's what life feels like when you let shame drive the narrative. This is why His love for you cannot just be a feeling, it has to be a knowing. Because your feelings will come and go, but what you know will remain. And to know his love is to know his forgiveness. To know how forgiving he is, is to know how sinful you are. Ouch. Oh, but so good. We have to acknowledge the brokenness in order to find ourselves at the table and receive his love in the face of our brokenness. Anybody thank God for the gospel? Listen to this. Sin is either a landing pad for shame or a landing pad for forgiveness. If I had Twitter, if I had X, (laughs) I would X that. Hear me. Sin is either a landing pad for shame or a landing pad for forgiveness but shame cannot find a place to land on one who knows they are forgiven. We sing that we want to be like this woman and pour out our jar of oil, our love on Jesus, but we never acknowledge what drove her there. It was the realization of her sin and the realization of the forgiveness of Jesus that met her in that place. Look how Paul puts it in Ephesians 2. Sam, you can come back, team. Ephesians 2, Paul says this. As for you, can anybody say me? me? As for me. As for you. Listen to the tense here. You were dead in your transgressions." And sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world in the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And all of us also used to live among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, listen, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raises us up with Christ and seated us with him, with him, in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance to us for us to do. Paul says, this is what we deserved, wrath, because we followed a spirit that is in opposition to God, and we did so in ignorance. But this is what God gave us instead of wrath, his mercy, and we found it in Christ Jesus. so that he could continue to show us the riches of his mercy and his grace and his kindness in Christ Jesus. It wasn't just for a moment, it's for your life, which means we need to live in the revelation of the cross from the moment you know it till death. We need to acknowledge that the blood of Jesus is forgiveness of sin and that you needed it then and you need it now. His forgiveness is once and done on the cross, but full circle, the only way to live in his forgiveness is to receive it. And to receive it is to acknowledge your need for it. This is the beauty of repentance. I acknowledge my brokenness, I acknowledge my sin, but it's no big deal because I know him. And acknowledging this will bring you a lifetime of love to pour out on Jesus. Not just a moment on a Sunday when you feel like it. Acknowledging acknowledging this will save you from shame. Acknowledging this will save you from self-righteousness. From you needing to save yourself. And it will usher you into a freedom that no one can take from you. Does anybody wanna be like this woman who burst into this Pharisee's house and said, I don't care what anybody thinks, I'm free. And I will be found loving him at his feet. Those are the people that Jesus came to find. Mary chose the one thing that matters and it will not be taken from her. She chose to receive his forgiveness. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. It was his idea. So that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You are the father's reward. How's that for purpose? And those who he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. As we become like him, the scriptures say we will share with him in his glory. This is a greater destiny than you could ever conjure up in your mind. To share in the glory of Jesus. Jesus is the firstborn among many who are becoming like him. And he would walk to the Father and he would say, Look at your children. They received my forgiveness. They received your love poured out on the cross. Here they are. I came and got what you sent me for. I wanna cry. Jesus came and poured out his love on the cross And we've discovered that there are three things that keep us from that. Three little pesky things. Distraction, shame, and self-righteousness. I think we can handle that. No, 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 hear me. I think you can handle that. It's not as complex as you're making it. I'm going to sit here for a little bit. You're coming up with so many excuses why life isn't going the way you think you want it to go. Could it be distraction, shame, self-righteousness? Because God has given us everything we need in the knowledge of him. Knowledge. Oh yeah, Jesus came. Look how like non exciting I'm gonna make this, okay? Jesus came, lived a sinless life, died, so that you can be forgiven for your sinful life. And when you receive his love in his forgiveness, you come to the table that he sets for you. And at that table, you find the love. You need daily to be transformed into his image. And when you eat from his table and drink from his cup, nothing else satisfies. You continue to build a life of saying, this is where I belong. I receive your forgiveness. Nothing can pull you away. Not the loudest voice of shame. Self-righteousness becomes disgusting to you. And distractions are like, go away, you stupid mosquito. I need to be with Jesus. Jesus. Please join me in the simplicity of the gospel. Now, does anybody want to pour out and break an alabaster jar over Jesus' feet? Does anybody want to acknowledge that we were once dead in our sin and transgression, deserving the wrath of God, but Jesus stepped in and saved us? Can we acknowledge this together? Because this is what you were born to do. Let's close our eyes just for a moment. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Do so you get knows what's up? I'm going to give you a, a moment to acknowledge what it is that is keeping you from Him. And if there's something other than I say. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. You don't need my voice, you have his. Number one, and I want you to stand up. You can keep your eyes closed because this is not about anybody else. That woman did not care what Simon had to say. and You should not care what anybody else has to say. Shame, the narrative of sin and brokenness and inferiority, undeservedness, worthlessness, filth, Those thoughts have been running through your mind and keeping you from the forgiveness and the love of Jesus. I just want you to stand up and acknowledge that before the Lord. Any iota of shame. Any iota that you do not deserve what he has to give. You do not deserve to be in a happy marriage. You do not deserve to have kids. You do not deserve to have money. You do not deserve anything that he offers. And when you think about things in the past, you stutter, they're anxiety-inducing. When you think about a failure that has come up in your life. It doesn't drive you to Jesus, it drives you from him. It doesn't drive you to people, it drives you from people. This is called shame and condemnation. Scriptures tell us that we have an enemy that accuses us before the Father day and night, the accuser of the brethren. But scriptures also say that we have an advocate. We have a mediator. His name is Jesus, who also stands before the Father and says, no, their name is written in the book of life. So if you're standing, just lift your hands and say, Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. Take my shame. Others... Distraction. Shame, by the way, is a distraction. I want you to stand if you're living a distracted life, not able to receive his love. Things are keeping you, like Martha, from sitting at his feet. The third one and this is the hardest one because by definition it's really hard to see in yourself self-righteousness I implicitly acknowledge that I don't need him I don't say it I don't even think it but my life says it I say it without saying it keep your eyes closed. be with him For the rest of us, whatever the Lord's placing on your heart, you can acknowledge it before him. But I just need you to know that you'll never be fully like him until you see him face to face. But when you do, you will be transformed. This life is a process of sanctification and it will not finish until we're with him in eternity. So if there's anything that you need to acknowledge before the Lord, now is your time. This is the people of God saying, I will receive your forgiveness, Jesus, and nothing will keep me from it. So if you wanna stand, you can stand now. Can you just put your hands out in front of you? And just say, Lord, I receive your blood poured out for the remission of my sin, you wiped it away. As far as the east is from the west. That's how far he's removed his, your transgressions from you. Say this, Jesus, I don't wanna live in ignorance of your love. You thought it was worthwhile And today I acknowledge that it was worth it. And I will give you what you came for.